Hallelujah. All right, Isaiah 60, you should be able to quote it with me. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen on you. Praise God. Are you getting excited about that scripture yet? Because we're going to keep saying it until you're excited about it. I've got paper today, so sorry about that. So the answer to, this, to the darkness in the world is the sons and daughters of God being filled with the glory of God. That's the answer, right? And the glory of God is God's manifest presence, And as believers, we can grow into stepping into being ones that carry his presence at all times. I love that Chelsea's like, like just done a deep dive into learning about the prophetic and learning about hearing God's voice. And now she's like, oh my gosh, I'm like (laughs) hearing his voice all the time, Um, which is great. Like, Amen. That's like the glory of God being manifest through your life when you hear his voice and you Um, share a word of encouragement or a um, word of prophecy to someone, that's like the glory of God being manifest on the earth. So we can all learn to step into greater levels of glory. Amen? Um, When we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he was the solution to every problem that he was faced with because he and the Father were one and he was doing what he saw the Father doing. Amen? And as Christians, we need to be hungry because there's so much more available to us than just going to church on a Sunday and having a Christian confession. We're called to be what? Salt and light in this world. Amen. We're called to carry the Spirit of God wherever we go. And we're called to be ambassadors on the earth. His ambassadors, right? Where you go, he is. In John 17, 22, Jesus said, the glory that the Father gave him, he's also given to us. That's wild, isn't it? The same glory that Jesus walked in, is a, like Jesus like, Father, thank you that you've given me the glory. Thank you that you've given them the glory that you've given me. That's the Naomi paraphrase. That's crazy, isn't it? To just think that. So we're learning how to be people to step into the glory and carry the glory with us. To remind us where we've been, week one, what did we talk about? No one can remember. I should have bought my lollies. We learned about the importance of waiting on God, of every day offering our sacrifice of prayer and surrendering our life um, and waiting for his fire to fall upon our hearts. Psalm 5 verse 3. Week two, we talked about the importance of praise and worship and how we can step into the glory of God through opening up our mouths and giving him the worship that he deserves. We were reminded that we're living gateways and the ancient doors that are being, and that by lifting up our heads and opening up our mouths, we can step into hosting the glory and the presence of God. Amen? We did that last week. What a ripper. It was an awesome encounter Sunday. Who enjoyed that? Oh, my gosh. And, yes, the glory of God manifested. There were demons that that were cast out. There were healings. There were people encountering God's tangible presence. So, praise God. Um, And you can do that here when you're with each other. But I also want to encourage you to learn to worship by yourself at home. We'll learn to worship when you're driving in the car. Switch off the radio and worship the Lord. Learn to worship him um, while you're going about your life. And I promise you will notice a shift in just opening up the atmosphere of heaven as you go through your life, as you go about your normal days. Praise God. So today, as we're leading up to Easter, I want to position us well for celebrating all that Jesus has done and accomplished. So I've entitled this message, And Don't Roll Your Eyes. 
stepping into the glory by understanding the new covenant. So I know everyone's like, oh, boring. Don't be bored. This is going to be so good. Stepping into the glory by understanding the new covenant. So I'm going to do the be- my best to make this simple because it's important that as Christians we move past the basic concept of Jesus died for my sin and if I accept him as Lord, um, I'll go to heaven when I die. Right? We need to get way past that. That is very, very true. We are forgiven. Um, we do go to heaven when we die. But there's so much more available. And all too often, Christians are living short of what Christ has made available due to a lack of understanding. You just don't know what you don't know. You don't know you can hear God's voice and him be talking all the time if you don't know, right? So that's why Proverbs tells us, Proverbs 4, 7, get wisdom and in all you're getting, get understanding, right? So... We're going to talk about covenants today. We're going to compare the old covenant and the new covenant. There's a lot of scripture. If you have, if you have your paper Bible, I'm a paper Bible girl, open it up. If you are a phone Bible person, open that up. It will be on the screen if you want to follow along. But I'm a, I just prefer to follow in my, in my own Bible And we're going to try and break down um, some scripture. There will be a lot of scripture, but it will be like chunks of chapters, if that makes sense. So I'm not going to be rapid firing um, scriptures at you today. Right. Now, God is a God of covenants. And a covenant, to put it really simply, is an agreement between God and a person or a group of people or God and humanity. And in the Bible... There are five major major covenants um, and often a covenant is established by the shedding of blood. Okay, so we'll just put that there. So I won't even mention the other covenants today. We can do a teaching on that another time. But today we're just going to contrast the old covenant and the new covenant. All right? Um, And I just, I want to help us to see that what... Jesus has purchased for us is out of this world amazing because sometimes I think we get really familiar with just the message like yes Jesus died for me yes I'm forgiven yes I'm going to heaven Um, and we we just forget or we don't even understand of what's available and so we fail to step into it um And if you know this, awesome, gold star for you. Um, Here, I feel like here are some more scriptures because you need to be able to teach others, right? Because we're all called to do what? Make disciples. We're all called to make disciples. So if you're discipling someone up and you need to teach them about covenants, you're going to know where to take them after today. So that's good, hey? And the gospel never gets old. Hallelujah. So let the fire of God fall afresh on this revelation. Okay, so the first covenant we're going to talk about is the old covenant, or sometimes it's known as the Mosaic covenant. Okay, and this is a Naomi overview of like Exodus probably 18 to 33. Okay, so I'm going to give you a very short overview. Um, It came into existence when the Lord delivered the Israelites from Egypt and he took them to Mount Sinai to worship him, right? And God said to Moses, he said, I want you to get the people ready. In three days, I'm going to come. So tell the people to consecrate themselves, set themselves apart because they're going to meet with me, right? So... So the people, they washed their clothes, they weren't intimate with one another and they, they were preparing to meet with God. And on the third day, God descends on the mountain, on Mount Sinai and there's thunder and lightning and trumpets and smoke. The like presence of God is descending on this mountain and the people can see 
like with their eyes and they can also hear the the noise, the trumpets and the thunder and the, the, the whole mountain is shaking, right? It's, it's a full-on thing. The God of the universe is descending on a mountain. Um, and what happened? They freaked out. They freaked out. They could hear God speaking with their natural ears. They could hear the audible voice of God and they could see part of his glory and they they could experience what was happening but they freaked out and they were like they said to Moses and you can read the you can read about this in Deuteronomy 5 um, which has a recount of the same story but um, they say to Moses we've we realize and we understand that we can see God and still be alive but we don't want to talk to him anymore because we're afraid that we're going to die and so you go talk to God this is the Naomi paraphrase this is I'm not quoting scripture right now um you go talk to God for us get us some rules to follow because we're we're scared and so that's where the new where the old covenant came into into being God was like okay I'll give you some rules Um, my heart is that you would be my people and I would be your God. But I'll give you some rules to follow. And that's where he gave Moses the Ten Commandments, right? But all up, there were 613 laws that the people had to obey. And it was all about, like, what they should be eating and how they should relate to one another and those sorts of things, right? Um... So, yeah, Moses went and got the Old Covenant law, Ten Commandments, and 613 laws in total. Um, And God said to them, if you follow my laws, then you will be blessed, and I will be with you. And if you depart from my ways, you will be cursed. And we see this playing out in the Old Testament. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you need to be like, what covenant were was God operating in just to bring understanding about what happens right covenants are really important and the Lord had them erect a temple and he gave them specific instructions on how to build it and what should be in there and there were different sections and the place where the presence of God would be was was in a section called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. And here is a picture of the temple. There we go. So that front area, um, the normal priests could go into that spot there. And then there was a big, the, the purple veil. And then behind that was the Holy of Holies. And that's where God's presence would be, Right? And only a priest could go there, the high priest, and only once a year. And only carrying blood for his sins and also the sins of the people. So just imagine being back in that time. You, you're not a priest, so you don't have access to God at all. You can't feel his presence. You can't hear his voice. He's not on the inside. Um... The priest that goes in has bells on the bottom of his cloak so that they can hear that he's still alive, basically. That's crazy, hey. If he does anything wrong, he'll die because God is holy and he is not. And the blood of goats and bulls, does it remove the sin, the problem? No, right? So this is what they had to operate under. Crazy, hey. Crazy when you think about it. And we don't have time to go all of the bits of the temple symbolised like it's all significant and it all points to who? Jesus, right? We don't have time to unpack all of those things today. That's for another time. But just so you know, okay, there was a temple. You, as a normal person, you couldn't go in. You couldn't meet with God. You couldn't... I'm sure you could, like, say a prayer but you would never hear him back, right? There was this separation between God and man. 
And what was the problem? Sin. Sin was the problem, right? Does following a set of rules fix the problem of a sinful nature? No. Does the blood of bulls and goats and doves and whatever other animal fix the problem of a sinful nature? No. So with the old covenant, sin is on the, on the inside of a person, right? The law is on the outside. So we've got tablets with the law and God is on the outside, all right? And so as a person living in that time, you might be thinking, okay, I know what's right because I can see it. It's plain and simple. Um, and I try really hard, but I keep falling into sin, even when I try. Why? Because they've got a sinful nature. I offer animals to sacrifice my sin. It covers my sin, but it never takes it away. I'm a slave to sin. I can't hear God or talk to him for myself because of my sin. I have to go through a priest. Okay, that was their reality. If I do good, I'll be blessed. If I do bad, I'll be cursed. Right, let's jump into some scripture. Now, as we read these scriptures, we're going to start seeing a, a contrast between Old Covenant and New Covenant. So, you guys, you have the Old Covenant, Chelsea. Keely, you have New Covenant. And as they come up, you're going to jump up and put, put your statement or your, your truth about the Old Covenant up here as we hit them, right? All right, so we're in 2 Corinthians 3, and we'll start at verse 1, just so we don't jump in at a weird space. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you're a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Okay, so Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and he's like, you guys don't need a letter of recommendation from us. You, you are living recommendations from the Lord because you've been born again because of our message. And um, he's like, this, this is what you used to have. You used to have um, law written on tablets of stone, but now in the new covenant, it's written on your heart, right? We'll, we'll see that a bit later as well. Verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. That goes for you too. So God makes Paul a sufficient minister of the new covenant. Guess what you are? a sufficient minister of the new covenant, right? Because the spirit of God's in you. And then it says, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So right now, we're, we're having a contrast of old covenant, new covenant. What does it say of the old covenant? The letter, what does it do? Kills, right? And the, the new covenant, it gives life, right? Are you starting to see all through this chapter? It's showing us what, like it's contrasting old covenant, new covenant. Verse seven, now if the ministry of death carved on letters of stone, hang on a sec. So Paul is calling the old covenant the ministry of death. That's pretty hectic, hey? We'll just stick that up there. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Do you have being brought to an end? Great. So the old covenant was being brought to an end. 
And then verse 8 says, Will not the ministry of the Spirit... So Keely's got ministry of the Spirit. So the old covenant was the ministry of death. The new covenant is the ministry of the Spirit. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation... So it's saying that the old covenant was a ministry of condemnation. What does that mean? You forever felt like you weren't good enough. And that was the truth. Yeah, shame, condemnation. You, like, you were guilty. And there was nothing you could do about it. Nothing at all. And you could bring your goats and your doves and whatever else and have the priest kill it and say sorry, but you still had the sin on the inside. And there was nothing you could do, right? That's why it's called the ministry of condemnation. And if you were to stand before God in judgment, he would say, guilty. You're guilty. And you would die. (laughs) Because he is holy and you are not, right? That's what it was like under the old covenant. Um... Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Verse 9, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. So the new covenant, it, it calls it the ministry of righteousness. And in this church, you will hear us talking about righteousness and, and hitting it from every angle Because what is righteousness? It's being made right with God, very, very simply, right? And the new covenant is the way that you are made right with God, okay? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, What once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. So the old covenant is saying there's no glory left in the old covenant because the glory of the new covenant has far surpassed it. For if what was being brought to an end came with with glory, we've already got brought to an end there, much more will what is permanent have glory. So Keely's got... So the new covenant is what? Permanent. Verse 12. Since we have such hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites may not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. Old covenant? Yeah. And mine's hardened. You can put both of them up. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Right? So old covenant, their minds were hardened. There was a veil Imagine just having no understanding, not being able to understand. New covenant, the veil's removed. Verse 17. Now the Lord is what? Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So there's what in the new covenant? Freedom. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. So from that we can also learn that, what did we write there? You can behold God's glory. Because of the new covenant. So the old covenant, they couldn't behold the glory of the Lord. They couldn't be in his presence. Even when they saw him descending on the mountain and there's smoke and and all of that, they couldn't even handle that. They couldn't have face-to-face 
communion with the Lord, right? But under the new covenant, we can behold the glory of the Lord. We can have personal, intimate relationship with God. And what happens when you're beholding him? You become like him. So the more you you gaze upon the Lord, the more you behold him, the more you become like him. And in fact, that is the key to becoming like Jesus, to walking like Jesus. It's beholding the Lord. It's hanging out with him. It's communing with God, which is all available in the new covenant, right? Praise God. So we can see old covenant written on tablets of stone. It kills. It's the ministry of death. It's brought to an end. It's the ministry of condemnation. There's a veil over the hearts of the people and their minds are hardened. Versus new covenant. It's written on human hearts. It gives life. It's the ministry of the spirit. It's the ministry of righteousness. It's permanent. The veil's removed. Freedom. You can behold God's glory and it transforms you. Isn't that awesome? There's, there's more. There's more. Go to Hebrews. Hebrews 9. I'm getting excited now. Oh, far out. Hebrews 9.1. We'll start here so it doesn't sound weird when we jump in, where we need to jump in. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand. Isaiah, can you... Yeah, can you put the um, picture of the temple up while I just read this, this little part so you can see it? For a tent was prepared... The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Verse 5, above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So that's telling us about the temple again, right? Verse 6, as I go back to verse 6. Thank you. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes. I think, Chelsea, you should have a... Only the high priest goes. And he but once a year and not without taking blood. So under the old covenant, there is one person that can enter God's presence once a year. Isn't that full on? Isn't that hectic? which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Verse 8. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened up as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. Right? So um, he's talking there to people that understand that there was a new covenant being ushered in. And how everything in the old covenant is pointing to the new covenant. And while that's still standing, it's impossible to fully step into this. That's why in 70 AD, it was all demolished, right? So in 70 AD, the temple was demolished. Israel was, was plundered. It was a gnarly, awful, horrible thing. And it was prophesied in the Bible that that would happen, and it did. Because God was like, that is the end of that. That is the end. We're under the new covenant now, right? Now, this is where it gets juicy. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper. So Chelsea's got another one. 
right? So under the old covenant, it didn't matter how many, how many animals you slaughtered, it would not perfect your conscience. Couldn't help you. Verse 10, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Verse 11, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that are to come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. In other words, Jesus didn't enter into the old temple system. He entered into heaven, into the holy of holies in heaven, into God's presence with his own blood, right? Thirteen, Keely, you might have some things now. Uh, Chelsea, you might too. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. Do you have something there? Oh, yeah, great. Blood of animals, great. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So it's like the blood of animals, like Moses when the covenant was shed, he, he sprinkled the people with animals' blood. And he said, this is the covenant And the people were like, we will do everything the Lord has said. But they couldn't, right? In the new covenant, we're purified. Our conscience, it's not just an outward purification, it's an inward purification. And our conscience is purified by the blood of Jesus, right? We're going to skip to verse 23. Thus, it was necessary for copies of heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So Jesus' sacrifice, it was a better sacrifice. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, but then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So the blood of Jesus, it's not a yearly thing. He doesn't have to die every time someone does something wrong. It's a once for all time sacrifice. Hallelujah. Verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. So when Jesus comes back for the second time, it's not to deal with your sin. It will be to be like, come here, my kids. (laughs) Let's enjoy the presence of God forever and ever and ever, right? And for anyone that doesn't have him, it's like, I'm sorry, but your eternity, like you've chosen to not be with us for eternity. And they can't be because they're separated from him because of their sin. Hebrews 10, we're nearly there. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. So the law is a shadow 
Most things in the Old Testament are a shadow and a pointing to Jesus. Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So it's, it's just, it continues to nail this, this hammer, nail this nail, this, this point. Um, the sacrifices under the old covenant could never make perfect those who, were, who wanted to draw near. Verse 2, otherwise they would have not ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. Verse 3, but in these sacrifices there is a, remi- uh, there is a reminder of sins every year. So there's a reminder under the old covenant, there's a reminder. Every time you do something wrong, it's like, oh, got to go find a bull or a dove that's without spot or wrinkle and I've got to take it to the priest and he's got to kill it for me and splash some blood around. Like, can you imagine how, how ridiculously awful that would make your life? And it never makes you perfect and it never helps you get any better. You're just stuck in this repetitive thing, right? Verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. That's Jesus speaking. When he said the above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. I don't even think I put a thing there. But Jesus was like, I'm doing, I've done away with this and I'm establishing this, right? Where were we? He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Right? That word sanctified, it means you're set apart. You are set apart. Does it have to keep happening? No. It's once for all. Do we have a once? Yep, once for all. Praise God. Just... In the Old Covenant, just as the altar and the instruments were sprinkled with blood of animals to purify them and set them apart for use in the temple, we are washed and purified with the blood of Jesus and set apart to be used by him as instruments on the earth, right? So Old Covenant, um, the blood is purifying instruments and whatever to be used. New Covenant, we're being purified to be used as instruments on the earth for God. That's pretty incredible, hey. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Again, it's like they have to keep doing it and it doesn't take away the sin. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14, for by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's a brain explosion statement. Are you in the camp of someone that's been sanctified by the blood of Jesus? I am. Are you? Be bold. Put your hand up. Yes. 
I have been sanctified. I have been set apart by the blood of Jesus, right? It says that he's perfected for all time those being sanctified. Isn't that amazing? Verse 15, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So old covenant, where was the law? It was written on stone. New covenant, it's written on our minds and on our hearts. He's written it on our hearts and minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So everything you've ever done wrong, God doesn't even remember it. Which is like, we can't even fathom that, hey. But he, he doesn't remember it. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus is that good. And there's a brand new covenant. A brand new way. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, because of all of this, because we're not in this and we're in this now, he's saying, therefore, guys, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, Keely, do you have confidence to enter? Something about that? Great. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So there was a curtain in the temple. It was torn from top to bottom. Why? Because the flesh of Jesus was torn. And we enter through his sacrifice, through the sacrifice of his flesh. Oh my goodness, the other day I was, I'm going to go on a little sidetrack. The other day I was, I went outside to hang out some washing and I opened the uh, screen door and I had my, had my big washing basket, opened the screen door and as I, I don't know, I went out and the door um, came and caught the back of my heel and I didn't know and so I'm like, on a mission and it just went rip, it just tore um, and it was so painful, I was like, ah, drop the butt, drop the thing and I was like, ah, it was like a tiny little thing but it was, and it was just a skin wound, right, it was nothing but it made me stop and think, my goodness, the body of Jesus, the pain that I felt for, for that I don't know, the first one minute was like, it felt like 10 out of 10 pain. Maybe I've got a, a bad pain threshold. But the body of Jesus, his whole body was torn way worse than that. Not one inch of his body, not one inch, the Bible says, wasn't ripped apart. You could see his bones. And I, I was just imagining the pain that was like throbbing, in the back, in my tiny little thing, I imagined being in pain over my whole body, my head, my back, my, just everything ripped apart. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> you are, you are so amazing. You are so amazing. We have to stop to remember the price that he paid. The, the pictures don't do it justice. Even the passion of the Christ, it was a great it's probably the closest thing that, that they could do, but it was worse than that, right? It, it was horrendous. Why? Because when sin was done with us, our sinful nature, we looked nothing like the Father made us to be. And so Jesus had to become unrecognizable as, as God was condemning sin in the flesh, right? So he took on the sin of the world and then he was made unrecognisable because God was condemning sin. Also that we can step boldly into his presence. Oh, you might have gone quiet. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? 
We have to, we have to stop and think about this. <sighs> now it says, since we have a great priest over the house of God. Is there a great priest? Jesus is our great priest. It's there? Great. You're ahead of me. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. How do we access? How do we draw near to God in the new covenant? What's the key? It's faith. It's faith. We access it by faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's why baptism is so important. It talks about Peter. In Peter, it talks about when you're baptised, it seals your conscience. It's where you're reckoning yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ, right? So if you're not baptised, get baptised. It will change your life. Your life will look different, okay? Because it's a, man, I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to Christ. And it seals that, that conscience that's been perfected by the blood of Jesus, right? I've lost where I'm up to, sorry. Great assurance, full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 23. What do we have left there? You've got some statements. Oh, yeah. Great. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near hallelujah we've just read pretty much three chapters of scripture i know it's a lot sorry if your brains feel full but um can you see the very clear contrast between old covenant and new covenant and this is just so much better I've got some other statements, Chelsea, Old Covenant, um, just whack them up as we say them. So there's some other, yeah. So the Old Covenant, it was between God and Israel. So if you weren't even an Israelite, too bad, so sad for you. Like, really, you were in darkness, you had no idea, you had no access to God. Um, In the Old Covenant, you follow rules and be blessed, disobey and you'll be cursed. And what else do we have there? Yes. In the Old Covenant, it doesn't remove sin, it covers it. The sacrifices, they don't work. It just covers it up. And Old Covenant, access by works. And even then you need a priest. So you have to do the right thing. You have to be good enough to, to enter into the presence of God. But even then you need a priest acting on your behalf. Right? The new covenant is all these amazing things written on human hearts. It gives life. It's the ministry of the spirit. It's the ministry of righteousness. It's permanent. The veil's been removed. There's freedom in the new covenant. You can behold God's glory. It transforms you. It's by the blood of Jesus. It purifies your conscience. It's a better sacrifice than than the ones of goats and bulls. It's once for all time sacrifice. You are sanctified once for all. You're perfected for all time. Laws are written on your heart and your mind. There's no remembrance of sin. You can enter the holy place. The the covenant, it's not even between you and God. It's between Jesus and God, right? And we just get to partake of it. That's huge. Um, The access point is faith. It's faith. You access it by faith. What else do we have there, Keely? Um, Under the new covenant, it removes your sinful nature. It's not a covering. If if you um, don't know about that, you read Romans 6. And it's like you die to sin, you live unto God, right? Um, Old covenant, it removes the sin. So where's sin? It's on the outside. 
Jesus is on the inside. God's on the inside in the new covenant. You don't have to go anywhere to meet with God because he's where? On the inside. So old covenant, old covenant, let's get this right. Sin was on the inside. God was on the outside. Law was on the outside. New covenant, sin is on the outside. God is on the inside and the law is written on your heart and on your mind. Massive change, hey? Massive. Wow. New covenant. As I behold him, I'm transformed into the image of him. And I can behold God as much as I want. I get to choose how much I behold him. I have access. The devil will try and lie to me and say, you don't have access you're condemned, you're not good enough. What does that sound like? Ministry of condemnation, right? The only thing that qualifies you to be in the presence of God is the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing. And so even when your heart's condemning you, you need to step boldly into the throne room of God and be like, thank you, God, Because of the blood of Jesus, I can come boldly into your throne room and I can behold your face in righteousness and I can receive help for my time of need. There's a new and living way and it's much better than the old way. Praise God. Praise God. And I just wanted to make it so clear for us So the next week, when we're thinking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we can have a greater appreciation. We're not under this. We're under this. And so it's like celebration time. It's like worship time. It's like, oh, Jesus, you're amazing. There's so much, there's so much to unpack. So this is like an overview. But I hope that's been helpful today. Hope you've you've learned something. Um, I hope it provokes you to just go into the secret place and to um, behold the Lord afresh and press into hearing his voice and press into asking him questions because you have access through the blood of Jesus.